0: We made USAA insurance to help you save. Take advantage of discounts when you cover your home and your ride. Discover how we're helping members save at USAA.com slash bundle. USAA. Restrictions apply.
1: I am going to start giving comment shout outs. And the first shout out is going to vu who left this comment to my Instagram. Honestly, talking about bear. I don't know why is he so hated or misadapted. I mean, when you read the book, you see that he is a nice man, supports their girl and kind of guides her. I really liked his character when I first read the book. I could not agree more with this. And we got you covered, since this episode is going to handle all of this and a lot more. In the last podcast episode, where I talked about why Frederick is poor and loses relationship with money, I read parts from... Henry Thoreau's poem, Friendship, and I thought I would read you the whole poem now and discuss about Louise's views on romantic love and friendship and why little woman can work as a great relationship guide. Now this poem is interesting because Henry discusses on different variations of friendship and also friendship between romantic couples. And we need to keep in mind that this happened during the time when most marriages were made because of economical reasons. As usual, I have been studying the true nature of Louis May Alcott's romantic affairs, which leads us to today's recommendation, which is Karen Lister's book called "Searching the Heart: Women, Men, and Romantic Love in the 19th Century America." Without further ado, this is "Small Umbrella in the Rain." Little Woman Podcast Luisa May got Spiritual Transformation Through Romantic Love Henry David Thoreau Friendship I think a while of love And while I think Love is to me a world Soul meat and sweetest drink and close connecting link between heaven and earth. I only know it is, not how or why. My greatest happiness, however hard I try, not if I were to die, can I explain. I fain would ask my friend how it can be, but when the time arrives, then love is more lovely than anything to me, and so I'm dumb. For if the truth were known, love cannot speak, but only thinks and does. True, surely, out it will leak without the help of the Greek or any tongue, a man may love the truth and practise it, beauty he may admire, and goodness not omit as much as may be fit to reverence, but only when these three together meet as they always incline and make one's soul deceit and favored retreat of loveliness, when under kindred shape, like loves and hates, and a kindred nature. Proclaim us to be mates, Exposed to equal fates, Eternally, And each may utter help, And service do, Drawing love's bands more tight, Service he never shall rue, While one and one make two, And two are one. In such case, Only doot man fully prove, Fully as man can do, What power there is in love, His inmost soul to move, Resistlessly. Two sturdy oaks I mean, which side by side. withstands the winter storm, and spite of wind and tide, grow up the meadow's pride. For both are strong. Above they barely touch, but undermined. Down to their deepest source, admiring you shall find, their roots are intertwined, inseparately. Henry says that love is the thing that makes him most happiest, but he doesn't know why. Both Henry and Louisa were transcendentalists and they believed that God was the ultimate expression of nature. So they had very pantheistic views on religion. But also because of this, they believed that love as a concept was something divine, a gift from God. Louisa was in love with Henry. He is the romantic lead in all of her novels. She believed in the reincarnation and that she and her loved one would reunite in another time and another place. Both Louis and Henry, they had reputation of being loners. And this is something that probably has been exhilarated, because the primary sources tell that they were both quite social. Henry writes that there is no point of asking what love is, or what love means, because it is overwhelming. And here is a quote from interestingliterature.com. Terror seems to be implying that just as the truth of love cannot be spoken so the real strength of true friendship is not about being seen to be someone to be someone's friend or at least not always sometimes it is about those little unremembered acts of kindness and of love Quote. This is exactly what happens in Little Woman. Let's take Amy and Laurie for example. Amy is planning to marry Fred Warren to save her family from poverty. Laurie reminds her that such an act is an unfair arrangement for both Fred and Amy because Amy is not truly in love with him. Likewise, Amy is the one who helps Laurie to become a contributing member of society. Laurie was rich. He was born into wealth. He never had any desire to work. He represents himself as a composer, but he hasn't been very active composing either. Movie makers will tell you that this is just because Laurie's sulking over Joe, but in the book this behavior has been going on since Laurie moved to Concord at the age of 15. He had expectations that everyone will act and behave like he pleases. When he proposed to Joe, he was basically saying that he expected her to be his caretaker. Amy sees through this BS and she tells him things that he needs to hear. It is this mutual care that they have for one another that saves them from a life long of unhappiness. When Joe falls in love with Frederick she first pays attention to the way he is around other people and how he is always doing these random acts of kindness. I have heard some people saying that both Beth and Friedrich are written to be angelic characters. There's a part of Joe that really admires both Friedrich and Beth. She feels great deal of empathy. With Friedrich, she manages to fulfill a dream that she had when she tells him that she would like to start a school and he encourages her. Beth feeds her pet bird too much and the bird dies. When Friedrich falls for Joe, he struggles to tell her how he feels because he is afraid of being rejected and that she would break his heart. These things don't make Frederick Orbit angelic but deeply human. When Henry passed away Waldo Emerson kept a speech about him at the funeral and Louisa got very angry because Emerson was criticizing Henry. Henry and Waldo they used to be best friends and they had a fallout which sometimes happens even between the best of friends. Later on, they tried to renew their friendship, but it never was the same. Louisa was incredibly upset when Henry passed away. She didn't want to hear bad words being said about him. Little Woman is a Bildungsroman, a coming of age story. In the traditional narrative of the Bildungsroman, story ends to a personal victory of the protagonist, they transcend spiritually and become a better person this is what Algot schooler christine doyle writes in singing minion song german literature and culture in the march trilogy louisa may Algot was born at the perfect time and raised in the perfect place to absorb an astonishing expansion of german influence on new england's culture it was not the case that german culture was completely unknown in america before the nineteenth century in fact, catalogues of estates of early European Americans showed that English-speaking settlers purchased and owned German books even in the 17th century. In certain circles, Goethe's novels like Faust were considered highly immoral. It is a story where a man makes a pact with the devil, and Louisa May Alcott actually wrote her own version of it called the modern Mephistopheles. Time started to change with the discovery of Germany the american academics began to consume more german writings carlyle's translation of wilhelm meister's apprenticeship appeared in eighteen twenty four carlyle began to publish essays on leading magazines helping to correct the misconceptions of goethe and to teach the ethical value of his writings Thanks to these influences Goethe became a hero for the transcendentalists. Louisa's father, he had a small but a selective library and it included books like Goethe's biography and Wilhelm Meister's apprenticeship. Louisa was not only influenced by her father's books but the entire transcendentalist community. When Louisa was eighteen, Emerson gifted her a copy of Wilhelm Meister's apprenticeship. In Little Woman, when Jo is in New York, Friedrich gives a copy of Shakespeare. So Joe can enjoy it and study character. Quotes from Megan Arnett. This copy now in the Houghton Library at Harvard is well worn and marked with Alcott's marginal comments showing the care and attention which she read the novel. Fifteen-year-old Louise highlighted this quote from Goethe's Wilhelm Meister's Apprenticeship. As Meister grows in life and advances in wisdom, he becomes acquainted with women of more character, rising from Mariana to Natalia, who expresses the Minerva side of things, Mignon, the electrical, inspired, lyrical nature. This is a great metaphor to the way transcendentalists believed that love had the ability to quote, transcend the person spiritually to a higher level. A passage: Meister transcends from Mariana to Natalia, who represents. The Minerva side of things. Minerva is the Roman goddess of wisdom and knowledge. She represents the intelligence and the emotional growth of the protagonist. When Meister moves on to Natalia, his life gets a deeper meaning. Natalia represents Amy slash Friedrich archetype, who makes the Meister. Larry slash Joe archetype. To understand their full potential and how to use it in the best way possible, Wilhelm Meister was Louis' favorite novel. She seemed to have a very deep understanding of what love meant to her. In Little Woman, Friedrich encourages chose to study character and become a genuine writer, someone who can be proud of what they are doing. Amy does the same for Laurie. She encourages him to go to work and also patch up things with his grandfather. It is difficult to find an adaptation where Laurie does any work for Amy, and there is not a single film that would show how Joe personally condemns sensationalist writing. connection to Minion's song is a fascinating one. When Joe sees Friedrich for the first time, he is humming Against Duda's Land, which is a passage from Minion's song. And when they reunite two years later, and he comes to meet, Joe and her family, they performed Minion songs together. When Lisa was in her early 20s, she wrote into her journals about her wishes to start school or an orphanage, and sharing that with Henry. Lisa loved kids. She supported many orphan houses and sponsored kids who couldn't afford an education. All in all, it seems that she gave Joe the things that she had wished for herself. Louisa did consider marriage with Lady Wisniewski, but he never really lived up to her expectations, like Laurie never lived up to Joe's. This opportunity to understand lovers by reading their mail or diaries is neither as simple nor as straightforward as it sounds. Suspicious of strangers and jealous of their privacy, 19th century letter writers our recipients censored, destroyed and in general fiercely guarded their love-letters this is a passionate entry from the journal of henry thoreau i've read this before but i thought we could take a deeper look at it my dear my dewy sister let thy reign descend on me i not only love thee but i love the best of thee that is to love thee rarely i do not love thee every day commonly i love those who are less than two i love thee only on great days Thy dewy word feed me, like the manna of the morning. I am as much thy sister as thy brother. Two are as much my brother as my sister. It is a portion of me and a portion of thee, which are of kin. Two dost not have to woo me. I do not have to woo you. O my sister, O Diana, thy tracts are on the eastern hill. Two surely pass that way. I, the hunter, saw them in the morning dew. My eyes are the hounds that pursue you. You can can't speak i cannot i hear and forget to answer i am occupied with hearing i awoke and thought of thee two was present on my mind how comes to there was i not present to thee likewise this poem can be about louisa but it can also be about somebody else the reason why i brought it up is because it illustrates very well the victorian ideal of love being sacred and the emotions that came along with it being deeply personal our researcher and Alcott fan, Diane Brandy, has made some pretty explicit research on Louisa's and Henry's relationship. This is what she writes. Both Louis and Henry were quite secretive about their private lives, but I will always be curious about what was contained in those intentions. It's time to get your checking account to zero with free checking from PenFed. That's zero ATM fees, zero balance
0: requirements, and zero time spent waiting for your paycheck to direct deposit because you can receive it up to two days early.
1: deleted passages found in both journals i did some research to refresh my knowledge of the goddess diana is presented as a complex contradictory presence which could describe both louise and henry she was the protector of slaves both thoreau and the alcott's families were involved in the underground railway diana was the goddess of woods where they often took nature walks together This part of seeing her tracts really made me suspicious louisa was known for the fact that she liked running which was very unusual for a woman in those times then we have henry comparing his loved one to a goddess who runs in the woods in her journal louisa writes how much she admires him and she even calls him as the perfect man here is another quote from lystra romantic love was an intellectual and social force of premier significance in nineteenth century america still it was not an experience readily understood by victorian lovers not only did victorians jealously secret their love from public scrutiny but they also believed this love was essentially a mystery at its essence beyond analysis such is the power of human belief that this ideology of love as an incomprehensible force meant that victorians themselves often found the experience of love opaque in rose in bloom another louisa may novel there is a scene where rose the protagonist returns from europe and suddenly she is bombarded by suggestions from her family and relatives who is the wealthy man that she should marry rose becomes very frustrated by this and then in the moment of solitude she thinks to herself that she would like to marry for love and unravel the mysteries of love herself This is a quote from the moment Rose realises that she is indeed in love. He shook hands and walked out of the house as tranquilly as if only a day instead of three months were to pass before they met again. Rose felt as if a sudden shower-bath had chilled her and was about to retire saying to herself, with disdainful decision, there's no love about it after all, only one of the eccentricities of genius when a rush of cold air made her turn to find herself in what appeared to be the embrace of an imprecious overcoat which wrapped her clothes for an instant then vanished as suddenly as it had come leaving her to hide in the sanctum and confide to psyche with a tender sort of triumph in her breathless voice no no it isn't genius that must be love this is a bit similar to what happens in little woman it is when fridi is away for two weeks Jo realises the depths of her own feelings after her work as a nurse in the civil war Louisa got very ill She had typhoid fever and she was treated with mercury, which at the time was considered as a viable medicine. The thing that was supposed to cure her, it actually slowly killed her. She died to mercury poisoning at the age of 55. Both typhoid fever and the mercury poisoning had a very big effect on her health and she had a very painful condition. Mercury poisoning can also affect her mental health and create severe mood changes. There's also speculation that Louisa had a bipolar disorder, which would actually explain many of her contradicting public statements, but they were also connected to this idea that the public had that Louisa was Joe, or whatever they thought about Joe. As a result of this, the most unreliable narrator about Louisa Mayalcot is Louisa May Alcott. I and Emily talked about this a lot in our Laurie chat. In the nineteenth century Laurie was a super popular character way more popular than he is nowadays. In her public statements Louisa always spoke very highly about Lady Wisniewski, the real life Laurie, but then in her private letters she was often quite critical about him. Another great example is when Louisa was 15 and she had a crush on Emerson and she wrote him love letters. Forty years later Louisa went back and literally rewrote her teenage diaries and censored almost everything with sexual nature. Just like Lister says, Victorians did their best to keep their love life away from public scrutiny. If we think about it more realistically, that a 15-year-old girl has a crush on an older family friend, or even a celebrity, that's pretty normal. Susan Cheever writes that after the war and surviving the typhoid fever, Lisa was never the same again and lived half-life maybe this idea of reuniting with your loved one in the afterlife brought her comfort and helped her to ease the pain and loneliness in friendship henry describes that love happens when truth beauty and goodness combine in a sort of alternative holy trinity meeting in one person and this love is transformed into friendship when such a person meets another of like mind who is willing to reprocreate these qualities to the other person is my favorite quote from little woman why everybody liked him was what puzzled joe at first he was neither rich or great young or handsome in no respect what is called fascinating imposing or brilliant and yet he was attractive as a genial fire and people seemed to gather about him as naturally as about a warm heart he was poor yet always appeared to be giving something away a stranger yet every one was his friend no longer young but as happy-hearted as a boy plain and odd yet his face looked beautiful to many and his oddities were freely forgiven for his sake joe often watched him trying to discover the charm and at last decided that it was but benevolence which worked the miracle if he had any sorrow it sat with its head under its wing and he turned only his sunny side to the world there were lines upon his forehead but time seemed to have touched him gently remembering how kind he was to others the pleasant curves about his mouth were the memorials of many friendly words and cheery laughs his eyes were never cold or hard and his big hands had a warm strong grasp that was more expressive than words then there is a very long paragraph about what he wears and his eyes and you know joe was so into him here is a quote from rose in bloom Here is another quote from Rose in Bloom and mac's character is once again based on henry thoreau mac watched her thoughtfully for a minute wondering how many more leaves must unfold before the golden heart of this human flower would lie open to the sun he felt a curious desire to help in some way and could think of none better than to offer her what he had found most helpful to himself picking up another book he opened it at the place where an oak-leaf lay and handing it to her said as if presenting something very excellent and precious If you want to be ready to take whatever comes, in a brave and noble way, read that and the one where the page is turned down. Rose took it and saw the words self-reliance and turning the leaves read here and there a passage which was marked my life is for itself and not for a spectacle insist on yourself never imitate that which each can do best none but his maker can teach him do that which is assigned to you and you cannot hope or dare too much come into the folded page whose title was heroism she read and brightened as she read let the maiden with erect soul walk serenely on her way accept the hint of each new experience search in turn all the objects that solids her eye that she may learn the power and the charm of a new-born being the fair girl who repels interference by a decided and proud choice of influences inspires every beholder with something of her own nobleness and the silent heart encourages her Oh, friend, never strike sail to a fear, Come into port greatly or sail with God to the seas. You understand that, don't you? asked Mac, as she glanced up with the look of one who had found something suited to her taste and need. Yes, but I never dared to read these essays, because I thought they were too wise for me. The wisest things are sometimes the simplest. I think everyone welcomes light and air, and cannot do without them, yet very few could explain them truly.' i don't ask you to read or understand all of that i don't myself but i do recommend the two essays i've marked as well as love and friendship try them and let me know how they suit you i will leave you to the book thanks i wanted something fine to read up here and judging by what i see i fancy this will suit Rose and Mac are interesting couple because unlike couples in little women, they both come from a higher social class, but they both possess the values that Louisa deemed important in a relationship like respect and self-reliancy. Here's a quote from psychologist Alexander Chan: Partners should encourage one another to realize aspects of their ideal self, pushing them towards their goals and helping them to grow in ways they desired. This process is called self-expansion, and psychologists argue it's part of an innate human drive to connect with others in order to improve ourselves as people. According to the study's lead author, Brent Mattingly, self-expansion not only means recognizing your SO's positive traits, but really taking them on, we actually incorporate some of our partners' traits into our own sense of self. That change, the study found, actually positively affects our self-concept, how we view ourselves as people. Significant others aren't just filling up our ego attacks. They help cut back on the negatives through a complementary process called self-pruning. It's a course when we rid ourselves of some of the not-so-desirable qualities we all possess. In unhealthy relationships, partners have the potential to pollute each other's sense of self and adopt more negative qualities. But happy, healthy couples are the ones who make each other better by sharing the best qualities they have to offer. This self-polluting other's mind happens with Joe and Laurie when Laurie is catfishing Meg, and instead of sympathizing with her sister, Joe sympathizes with Laurie. When they grow, this idealization of toxic masculine behavior sort of turns against both of them. When Laurie begins to harass Joe, and Joe loses her trip to Europe, when she considers herself better than her aunts who are offering the trip to her, Luisa often had the similar aggressive self-absurdant outbursts that Joe has in the novel, which often created tension in the family. Like Joe Luisa regretted them. In The End of Little Woman, the narrator mentions how Joe found critics having a calming effect on her. And this newfound calmness helped her to navigate thoughts and emotions, which before were highly agitating when working as a nurse, Louisa took care of a German soldier called John Serre, and she wrote her journal about his calm presence and how deep impact it had on her. We can probably say this about all these real life people who were models for Frederick's character. In Little Woman it is mentioned how Laurie has these similar mood swings that Joe has. And often his encountered especially with Meg and Joe, they trigger something in him which causes him some agitation but this never really happens with his encounters with amy because she never really scoffed him the way meg and joe did I will read you some passages from an article that was written by my friend Echazit. This one is called An Equal Relationship. Louisa May Alcott's deeply rooted connection with the Transcendentalist movement and its most prominent thinkers influences Joe March's relationship with Frederick Bear and how she describes him in the novel. Alcott's progressive father was consumed by an unorthodox passion to educate his daughters at a time when a woman's educational opportunities were limited, her father, lived near brilliant transcendentalist reformers of the day, such as Nathaniel Hawthorne. She received lessons from Henry David Thoreau and frequented Emerson's library to read great works of literature that, that sparked her interest in writing creative stories to support her family. Her early exposure to progressive ideas about the value of individualism had a significant effect on her writings, including the themes about family and ambition presented in Little Woman. Some speculate that Alcott may have based Friedrich Baer off the transcendentalist thinkers whose ideas so intimately spoke to her feminist perspective. For example, in the novel Friedrich is described as a personable with an ability to attract people with his unique charm. Similarly, although Thoreau's historical image is that of a hermit, he actually entertained guests and visited friends and frequented the nearby town. In her journals, Alcott describes her admiration for Emerson's philosophy, calling him the man who has helped me most by his life, his books, his society. Furthermore, Emerson's kind presence, musical voice and commanding style of speech during his philosophical lectures captivated audiences. His 1838 speech at the Divinity School in Cambridge was a passionate speech about self-reliance and religion. Comparatively, fascination with Frederick's impassionate speech about religion. At the... Taking charge of your
0: future starts with taking the first steps. And saving up to $30 a month on Cox internet with the Affordable Connectivity Program makes those steps easy to take. Whether they bring you to click upload on your first short film mm-hmm. or join now for an online book club. Applying is easy. See if you qualify at cox.com ACP. Non-transferable one per household application and eligibility decisions are made by the FCC.
1: Trying to grab all
0: the groceries in one trip? Oof, not how you would have done that. You know sometimes less is more. Like when you drive less and save with the USAA annual mileage discount. USAA, get a quote today.
1: Imposing is due to his honesty, indignation, and eloquence of truth which makes his broken English musical and his plain face beautiful. Additionally, in the novel, Friedrich is described as having a sympathetic face and kind eyes. Alcott derives many of Friedrich's tenderly masculine traits, introversion, compassion, soft-spoken charm, from the very men who were close family friends and who shaped her own philosophical views. Friedrich Per is an unconventional romantic interest, just as the men who shaped Alcott's life were unconventional intellectuals. Louisa May Alcott believed that most women were marrying for economic reasons. In Little woman, Mrs. March believes that money is a needful and precious thing, but it isn't the first and only price to strive for. She would rather see her daughters as poor men's wives, if they are happy and content, than queens on thrones without self-respect and peace. Alcott uses the theme as a backdrop to Joe's dynamic with wealthy socialite Laurie and penniless intellectual Fredrik. She emphasizes both characters' social statuses throughout the novel to highlight more important distinctions about their personalities and their distinctive interactions with Joe. Where Joe and Laurie's friendship represents a connection of two like minded yet strong willed young people trying to seek belonging in one another, Joe and Fredrik's dynamic is one of equals in which Jo is challenged to push her limits and grow intellectually and spiritually. Jo March is an ambitious, independent and strong-willed tomboy who wants to be a famous writer and seeks a life deeper meaning than simply conforming to societal traditions of marriage and domesticity. Jo's most passionate hobby is reading, and in many ways it influences her intellectual curiosity about 1860 society. One day meg finds her sister eating apples and crying over the hear of Radcliffe. It is Joe's favorite refuge. Additionally, she somehow puts up with her job as aunt March's companion because the moment aunt March is asleep or distracted she devours poetry, history, romance and travel like a regular bookworm. But she has to leave her paradise when she is called to do her duties. She hates to think that she has to grow to be Miss March and wear long gowns because it's bad enough to be a girl, when she likes boys' games and work and manners. Her insecurities about womanhood are emphasized. When she tells Meg she wishes she could be a child for a long time, she observes that Margaret is fast getting to be a woman and Larry's secret that Meg and John Brooke are in love makes her dread the separation that surely must come. Nonetheless, she responds erratically when it becomes evident that John will take Meg away from her family. She is incredibly rude to John when he visits Meg, but she is extremely ecstatic to see the regular old postman. Joe wishes that they would hurry and get married because she is uncomfortable with the idea that Meg is not like her old self and seems ever so far away from her. Jo knows how things will eventually turn out, so she wants to make a brief. Sentimental separation for herself instead of drawn-out painful one. Given Jo's strong views on womanhood and her curiosity about appending social norms, she dreams of intellectual pursuits, far removed from what is expected of mid-nineteenth-century women. Her ambition is to do do something very splendid, but her sharp tongue and restless spirits are constantly getting her into scrapes. When she ventures out into the world, removed from the comfort of her homely upbringing, she even admits that, quote, her greatest fault is her temper, and, quote, her greatest ambition is to be genius. It is precisely restlessness that makes her happy and content when she is doing something to support herself. Furthermore, although... Long locks out the tradition for 19th century woman. Cho cuts hers to financially support her family. This illustrates the depth to which she is willing to go for her family in a desperate financial situation. But more importantly, it emphasizes her continued disregard of social norms about physicality in favor of what she believes is right. Jo and Laurie's dynamic is characterized by childhood innocence. He illustrates a brotherly figure who complements her views about non-conformity. While she represents the feminine presence he craves in his own life. Interestingly, Laurie admits to Joe quite early in the novel that he feels envious about the sister's bond with their mother the motherless boy's solitary hungry look in his eyes affects her and she is glad to share her richness of home and happiness with him this forms the foundation of joe's strong feminine presence in his life he looks to her for affection and she responds with compassion. An important distinction between Joe and Laurie's intellectual values is their contrasting views about education. Joe wishes she can go to college and notes that Laurie doesn't look like he'll like it. He agrees that he hates it because it's nothing but grinning and skylarking and he would rather enjoy himself in his own way. Joe desires a life of meaning to pursue her passions. She's intellectually curious and admires schoolery pursuits, whereas Laurie takes his intellectual opportunities for granted. Although Joe and Laurie share some similar characteristics, such as their strong wills and quick tempers, they also have strong conflicting personalities. For example, Laurie complains that he feels like he's living in the shadows of his grandfather's wishes, and therefore has little motivation and is too lazy to try anything else. In response, Joe suggests that he sail away on one of his own ships and never come back until he has tried his own way. While Laurie does eventually sail away for a time with his grandfather, he also goes to college beforehand to fulfill his grandfather's dreams, not his own. On the other hand, Joe is rebellious and self-motivated from the beginning. She refuses to simply marry out of convenience and leaves her hometown the moment she realizes there isn't much left for her there. Joe wants to keep Laurie close to the family because she sees in him a kindred connection of masculine identity. This is one of the reasons she is constantly trying to match him with, with her sisters. When it becomes clear that Meg and John will be betrothed, Jo is frustrated because she hates seeing things get all crisscross. When a pull here and a snip there would straighten things out. Jo's reaction highlights her fears about broken family and loneliness. Her plan to marry Meg to Laurie emphasizes the desire to keep her family together by marrying her sister to a friend, someone nearby who she deems trustworthy and complimentary to her association with masculine identity. But once Joe realizes that Laurie is getting too fond of her, she decides to pack up her things and travel to New York, because she doesn't believe they are suited for one another. Mrs. March is relieved and agrees that they are too much alike and too fond of freedom, not to mention their hot tempers and strong wills, which would thwart a relationship that needs an infinite patience and forbearance. Joe and Laurie clashing stubborn personalities are illuminated during the confession scene in which Joe insists she can't be with Laurie while Laurie continues to badger her. After Joe admits that the main reason she went to New York was to get away from Laurie's growing sense of attachment, he admits that it only made him love her more. He gave up everything she didn't like, never complained, and hoped she would come to love him. Laurie's confession is similar to that of a guy friend who has a crush on a friend and hopes that he will get her simply by being nice and hopeful. Furthermore, he tells her that if she says she loves the professor, he will do something desperate, as if threatening her will convince her to love him. He then promises Joe that if she loves him, he would be a perfect saint. However, Joe rejects him because of fundamental differences in compatibility more so than his lack of saintly characteristics. Laurie continues to implore her to reconsider because everyone expects it. Quote, Grandpa has set his heart on you, your people like it, and I can't get on without you. It's selfish that he insists she settle for what others wish for her than what she wishes for herself. If she followed his suggestion, it would negate her character as someone deeply rooted in individualism and appending societal expectations joe actually says as much in her response it's selfish of you to keep teasing for what i can't give you laurie eventually travels to europe but not before sulking in his home while playing the piano tempestuously, avoiding joe and staring at her from the window with a tragic face that haunts her dreams. Larry's attraction to Joe is natural, but his behavior after the rejection is self-destructive. He continues to make Joe the sole reason for his happiness. It's the kind of response that hinders productivity and enjoyment of life, but also makes the other person feel guilty about their decision. Unlike most of the other men in Jo's life, of which there are very few as she hasn't had much experience with men in general, she describes Friedrich's physicality in greater detail and relays much of it in letters to her family back home. For example, early in their cadence, Jo hears him singing in German and notes that he has the kindest eyes she ever saw and quote, a splendid voice that does one's ears good, but there is not a handsome feature on his face. Nonetheless, she states that she likes him because he has a fine head and looks like a gentleman, alluding to her attraction to him being more cerebral than corporal. When Friedrich advises Jo to study people's character to get a better sense about writing fiction, she studies his physicality and how it relates to his character. She studies his physicality and how it relates to his character. She knows that he seems to turn only his sunny side to the world, that time seems to have touched him gently because of the kindness he bestows upon others. The pleasant curves around his mouth are due to his many friendly encounters and laughs with others and his eyes are never cold. She truly en- enjoys checking him out. She values character as a better possession than money rank, intellect or beauty. She ponders that if qualities of truth, reverence and goodwill are great qualities, then her friend is not quote, not only good but great. Her resolve on this matter strengthens every day and she values his esteem, she covets his respect and she wants to be worthy of his friendship. When Frigg later visits the March family, Joe notices that he is dressed nicely and wonders if he is courting someone but realization soon follows her curiosity and she blushes so dreadfully that she drops her ball and goes after it to hide her face. Jo has progressed as a character by this time because the idea of Friedrich courting her does not disgust her as it once would have, instead it makes her naturally self-conscious and fidgety. Furthermore, it is important to note how much Friedrich's tender masculinity aligns with Jo's values about character. When Joe first notices Friedrich in the boarding house, he carries a heavy hold of coal all the way up the stairs for the servant girl and leaves with a kind nod. Joe likes such things and agrees with her father that such trifles show character. He leaves a good first impression on Joe. It also shows sincerity of character because he doesn't know that she is observing him. At first she is perplexed why people admire Friedrich because he is neither young nor handsome neither fascinating or brilliant, and yet he is attractive as a genial fire. And people seem to gather around him as naturally as about a warm herd. She concludes that it is his charisma, positivity and good nature, not the superficiality of his looks or wealth. Choice is reflective about society's restrictions on her individualism, and Friedrich is a natural companion because he represents the mentor figure who encourages her to think more deeply about her views. Friedrich's philosophical background complements Jo's unique sense of feminist individuality. She greatly admires intellect and is proud to know that he was an honored professor in Berlin she observes that in his homely hard-working life beautifies the poor language master much more in her eyes because he never speaks of his former esteemed life. Additionally, their shared sense of intellectual curiosity is illustrated during a moment on New Year's Eve when he gifts her Shakespeare's works to study characters. She admits that she never knew how much there was in Shakespeare before, but then again she never had someone to explain it to her. One interpretation of this small moment is that it illustrates how much Joe has yet to discover about storytelling. Moreover, she is entranced by Friedrich's speech at the Philosophical Symposium as he defends religion and places with honest indignation and an eloquence that make his broken English musical and his plain face beautiful. As he finishes his speech She feels as if she has solid ground under her feet again. Jo not only agrees with Friedrich's philosophical views, but is captivated by his delivery as well. It is a moment that coincides with her strong belief in individualism. She too wants to speak up at this debate, but instead Friedrich gets the courage to do so, and he speaks to her soul. Moreover, Friedrich reveals his strong distaste for sensational literature, because he believes it sets a poor precedent for young people. Although he has a suspicion that she writes in her free time, he does not know that she writes sensationalist literature or that she herself is uncomfortable about it. She does not tell anyone about it for a long time. In order to publish her work, she is required to cut her sensationalist writing to one third of its original length. It receives mixed reviews after publication, and she is generally jaded by the experience. Joe is persuaded by Friedrich's opinion on sensationalist literature and decides to stop writing pieces for the newspaper in pursuit of more principled stories. Soon after, she discovers that her passions lie with writing literature rooted in realism. There are some who would argue that Friedrich is patronizing here, but Joe also feels the same way, and she discovers that she has more to offer the world than outlandish tales with no moral themes precisely through her interaction with him. Her efforts writing such stories are soulless and provide little personal meaning in her life and Fritik's strong opinions help her overcome her thankless endeavors. Fritik's version of courting Joe is characterized by level-headed steadiness because he is unaware of her emotional and physical availability. Initially he is suspicious that Joe and Laurie are more than friends when she wishes to introduce them. That night he searches about the room as if in search of something he cannot find. But he is still there to see her off at the train station the next morning. Although he likes Joe at this point he does not act impulsively on his feelings because he is not sure about her feelings or her relationship with Laurie. Moreover, when he visits the March family after he realizes that something is amiss through Joe's writing, he has a misconception that Joe and Laurie are a couple. Quote, a shadow passes across his face as he looks towards them. Fritzing's realization is painful, but he somehow manages to hide it and behaves amicably towards Joe and her family, which illustrates maturity and self-control. Additionally, he is confused by Jo's contradictions of voice, face and manner and her, quote, half a dozen different moods, when he tells her that he is moving to West. He doesn't understand if she likes him or not, and it's only when she reveals her feelings that he also confesses. He, quote, waited to be sure if she was something more than a friend. Jo confronts him about why he didn't propose sooner, so he tells her that he thought she was betrothed to her friend, but he also wanted to have enough money to offer her a comfortable living. Friedrich's courtship of Jo March is slow, steady, cautious, and level-headed. Due to his observant and compassionate nature, he is able to extrapolate Jo's aversion to romantic pursuits, and thus he approaches her mindfully with his own reservations. Joe's friendship and eventual romantic dynamic with Friedrich illustrates a relationship of equals in which she is able to fulfill her intellectual ambitions and overcome her fears about love and companionship. Their dynamic is set from their first interaction in which she unconventionally travels to New York alone as an unmarried woman. He then has a suspicion that she writes in her spare time and inspires her growth as a writer of passion instead of profit. Joe is captivated by the intellectual charm of such a man who delivers impassionate philosophical speeches at symposiums, who lives with integrity as a poor schooler in a foreign land, and has a unique charisma that attracts others to his presence. In return, Friedrich doesn't expect anything to become of their friendship, even when he thinks Joe and Laurie are not a couple, or when he is confused by her contradictory range of emotions, After he tells her that he is leaving New England, and neither does he feel threatened by her unique sense of ambition at the time when men's ambitions are taken more seriously. He courts her like a patient and observant gentleman awaiting the final verdict about a woman's romantic feelings, as if he is afraid to impossibly ruin the dearest friendship. Friedrich Baere is no romantic, but neither is Joe. He is not one for passionate phrases about love, but Joe wouldn't be impressed by such a companion. He has little wealth, yet Joe has lived her whole life in poverty, so she is used to hard work. With the professor Jo is able to live a life dedicated to her ambitions, where the social constructs of a marital life need not necessarily apply, while also conquering her fears about love that it doesn't necessarily have to be about unequal dynamic where the woman succumbs to a meaningless life of a pure domesticity. Her dynamic with Frederick is about being with someone who treats her as his intellectual equal, a kindred connection with someone outside of the loving but, sp- but splintering family she was afraid to leave many years ago. In other words, it's hard to imagine a free-spirited woman like Jo, who has lived her whole life in the seclusion of her hometown with the safety and security of her family, not being captivated by an intellectually forward-thinking mentor-type figure like Frederick Baer. It is fitting that a woman so radical for her day forms a companionship with a charming progressive intellectual... Friedrich is Laurie's foil in both his life experiences and characteristics. Laurie is an extroverted, wealthy socialite who has the privilege of pursuing intellectual interests, but would rather spend his time pursuing other things. He is impulsive and persistent in his pursuit of Joe. On the other hand, Friedrich is the poor scholarly professor in a foreign country who is soft-spoken and charming. He spends his time pursuing intellectual hobbies like attending philosophical symposiums. Both characters represent different aspects of Jo's personality. Lowry represents her naivety. He embodies her past and her too comfortable homely life. In contrast, Friedrich represents Jo's growth into womanhood and a life away from the luxury of her comfortable home, where she undergoes a feminist awakening about the kind of writer she can be. Her time with Friedrich also represents the challenges she is forced to confront regarding her own perspectives about the world and how she doesn't necessarily have to forego love to live a fulfilled life. She can have both her intellectual ambitions and a companion who understands her. Many have suggested that Laurie is a better companion for Joe. For example, some suggest that Joe and Laurie are good friends, have good chemistry and know each other well. He wouldn't constrict Joe's ambitions and therefore he would make a good life partner for her. While it is true, having a good chemistry doesn't necessarily translate to a successful romantic partnership. There are many people who have good chemistry within our lives, but that doesn't necessarily mean they would be great life companions. Although they know each other well, Laurie doesn't completely internalize Joe's unromantic, stoic personality. He reveals this when he complains that she, quote, won't give anyone a chance and, quote, doesn't show the soft side of her character. He is needy for attention and love, while Jo is more of an independent, free-spirited person who wouldn't be able to provide that kind of love for him. Furthermore, just because he wouldn't inhibit her ambitions doesn't mean that her ambitions wouldn't be thwarted by marrying him and fulfilling her marital duties in a wealthy society. Another perspective is that Jo would have been better off single because she is a strong, independent woman and Friedrich was simply showed in so Algot could fulfill a romantic subplot. Now here I need to step away from this essay for a moment. If you have been following this podcast, this idea of a person transcending to a higher spiritual level through another person is a very common theme in Goethe's novels. And according to Louisa May Algot. She was introduced to Goethe already as a child and listened to Goethe's stories while sitting on her father's knee. So it seems more and more likely that Louisa May Alcott planned the basis of the romantic relationship in Little Woman already as a child. Jo being single, it contradicts Jo's characterization in the novel. Cho is strong-willed, independent and extremely ambitious and while all these things are great reasons for her to have a full-fit life without the construct of marriage tying her down, she is also extremely averse to love and marriage because she fears the loneliness that it brings. She's seen what these institutions do to her family. They break it apart and it can never be completely repaired again because all of the fragments, the married sisters, are in different places their married homes. By the end of the novel, Jo's reality is one of loneliness and isolation. The inevitable happens. Moreover, Jo is in search of a belonging where she is able to be herself completely, but not feel the burden of societal normativity upon her shoulders. With Friedrich, she gets the best of both worlds. She is able to pursue her intellectual passions as a writer, because he is also passionate about philosophical ideas. They share similar worldviews about individualism, and she gets to have him as a friend, lover, and a companion. Regardless of whether or not one believes that Alcott succeeded in illustrating a believable romantic storyline, she did create a distinct character who complements the unconventional heroine in many of the subversive ways a unique dynamic like Joe and Frederick could have been depicted. She addresses Joe's ambitions, her fears, her indifference to marrying for wealth or power, and her deep sense of intellectual curiosity. In other words, it's hard to imagine how such a radical character like Jo, for the times that she represents, could have ended up with anyone other than an intellectual type, someone who could continuously challenge and inspire her, as Frederick does with her sensational writing, which inspires her to find where her passion lies. By introducing Friedrich's character Alcott wanted to make a bold statement and subvert social expectations about what a potential romantic interest could look like. Therefore, it is quite possible that she spent more time crafting his character. In fact, she seems to have thought about the character quite purposefully and thoughtfully. By making Friedrich Baer a counter stereotypical character, one who subverts stereotypes about masculinity, she was very intentional in the kind of lessons she wanted to impart about social class, intellectualism, unconventional romances, and a relationship founded on equality. Joe's dynamic with him represents the subversion of social norms. They are intellectual equals. With Friedrich, she remains an ambitious, impassioned individual with greater clarity about how to focus her passion for writing. On the other hand, Laurie represents Joe's innocence and comfortable family life. They are two stubborn alike individuals who seek a belonging in each other. Laurie seeks her feminine presence while Joe wants to live vigorously through Laurie's masculine energy. Alcott never married, but she created a romantic interest who understood Joe while many others stood by shell It's true of Friedrich that Alcott revealed a part of herself and her ideals. Both Friedrich and Laurie are based on several different men, like Joe is based on several women, who Louisa admired. It is in her journals where Louisa compares her own fate with her sister's marital happiness. It is a grim reality, but more deeper we go researching Louisa's personal relationship to these people, was it in Henry Thoreau, Emerson, Daddy Wisniewski or Goethe, we gain a much greater understanding on little women. Thank you for listening